You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. Amen. Thank you everybody for coming out tonight on this Wednesday night and just appreciate your love for the Lord and your your dedication to Him. And um, uh, we don't have a whole lot of announcements, but we do want to, like I said before, keep the, the guys and the girls camping trips in prayer. Amen? Um, we don't just do these for the sake of doing them. These are investments. I, I kind of mentioned this last Sunday night, but these are investments in the lives of our young people and uh, to help them grow spiritually and um, uh, to to just invest in them, not, not just spiritually as far as um, the teaching and, and the, the things that they're going to be learning from God's word, but um, Mr. Westheimer and Mr. Walsh and I, we sat down kind of talking about what's the vision, what's the mission for these camping trips, and something that God has really turned it into is a real time of discipleship for the older men to be able to invest in the lives of the younger men. And it's really an awesome thing. It's really very biblical, the way God designed that to work. I was out with coffee with uh, Phil Ferraro uh, earlier this morning, and we were talking about this same type of thing. It's a discipleship mentality. But that's really something awesome the Lord has turned these camping trips into, a time for older men in our church to really speak into the lives of the younger men. It's not like we sit around all day and all they do is give counsel, but it's just that relationship development. And um, it's just biblical to have older speaking into the lives of younger it's the way god designed it to work and you know our, our culture is very that's very countercultural today is uh you know uh, our culture really likes to to um segregate ages but that's not the way god designed it to work so these camping trips are really powerful really impactful so but but god has to do the work amen god has to do the work and uh so so we, we keep these camping trips in our prayers. And on that note, I just want to thank you to, for giving, so to make things like these camping trips possible. You know, we don't give to our local church. We give through our local church. Amen? Uh, this isn't just an organization that you give to. You give through it. You, you give and then the monies go out to accomplish the work of the Lord. That's the way God designed it to work. And I just thank you for your generosity and how you give it to help us, um, to help uh, all of us together as a whole accomplish what God has called us to do here on earth. So thank you so much for that. We're looking forward to having my Uncle Brent coming to be speaking on our Teen Guys camping trip. He's in... Is he in Virginia, Grandma? Is that where he's at? Yeah, down in Virginia. So he's going to be coming up tomorrow. He's going to be preaching for us Sunday morning and then headed up there uh, Sunday afternoon and then doing our, our evening session. I'm just looking forward to, to spending time with him next week. And uh, he's just always a blessing when he comes here and, and speaks for us. So looking forward to that. <clears throat> Is there any more announcements that we have here tonight? Mr. Walsh. All right, yes, definitely, definitely. Mr. Corsair. Hmm. Yeah, let's keep him in our prayers. Anything else? 
All right, do we have special music tonight? Alyssa didn't get me that information. I don't think that we do, all right? So let's go ahead and just um, get into the evening service then. What? You have special music? Oh, okay, well then, come, come, speak up. Okay, yes. We're looking forward to it. She's been looking forward to it too. Let's take our Bibles and open up to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. I've been really wanting to study through a book of the Bible. I've never really studied through a whole book of the Bible before. And so as I was praying about what book of the Bible to study through, just in my own personal study time, I thought, hey, I'll study through the book of Titus, a nice short book, and uh, it's my son's name, and I've never studied through it, so I was like, hey, let's study through the book of Titus, and so last week when pastor asked me to preach, um, I was like, well, 
I'll probably be preaching out of the book of Titus, since that's the book in my own personal Bible study. So let's look here at the book of Titus in the first few verses, and let's see what God has to say to us tonight from the book of Titus. When you're there, say amen. 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 Titus chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifest his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my own son, I can literally say that, unto Titus, my own son, after the commandment, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you for this day today. Thank you for all your wonderful blessings. I, I pray that you will show us some truth tonight from your word. Um, uh, show us some things that we can adjust in our own life uh, to become more like you. Um, I pray for the girls right now on their trip, and I pray for uh, uh, Mrs. Walsh as she is preparing or currently uh, teaching on um, what seems to be a difficult topic, Lord, and that you will just give her uh, peace in her heart and the words to say and, and, and confidence and, and um, just help her uh, to communicate your truth. I pray that the hearts of the young ladies will be tender to receive the truth that is being uh, communicated to them. And we just thank you for using us as humble um, worthless vessels as tools of you. And I just uh, thank you for that. And I just pray that you will bless this night tonight for all these things in your holy, precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, tonight um, I want to talk about leading like a servant. Leading like a servant. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever met somebody, I know some of you might have never met somebody like this, but how many of you have ever met someone that is selfish and self-centered? Anybody ever met someone like that? Oh, wow, there's a lot. Okay, some of you have never met somebody like that? Oh, my goodness. Okay, I'm pretty sure we all know somebody immediately off the top of our head without even having to think about it that is selfish and self-centered. You know, I originally thought I would, I would ask how many of you are selfish and self-centered and um, you know this is the way, this is how our minds work with that. I'd be like, how many of you are selfish and self-centered? Then, then you'd be like uh, I, I mean I can at times be, yeah, but I, I don't know if I'd say I'm actually self-centered. Do you know someone that's self-centered? Oh yeah. Yeah, we all know somebody that's self-centered. Now, are we self-centered? I don't know, but we definitely know someone that's self-centered. Yes, we all know people that are selfish, self-centered, and really, really, life seems to be all about them. Um, you know, I, I really enjoy taking, uh, being in the book of Titus, I guess I'll use him as an illustration. I really like taking Titus with me when I have to run out into town and do uh, run errands or, or do something like that. I really like taking Titus with me, and I just, you know, do you want to go? And I'll just take him with me and, you know, get him an ice cream cone or something. But he's at the stage of life. He's, he's about three and a half years old. So when you take a three and a half year old shopping, they think that these buildings are filled with stuff for them. 
right? They think that everything that is there was created and put there for them. So it's like, can I, can I have that? No, you can't have that. Can, can I have this? No, you can't have You know, we're in, we're in um, you know, I, I go to Sam's a lot, just, you know, picking up stuff for the church. That seems to be like one of the number one places I go because they sell stuff in bulk. We buy a lot of stuff. So we're at Sam's and he's like, oh, can I have that? I'm like, no, no, you can't have that. Oh, can I have that gun? That's that's not a gun. That's a power washer. You can't have a power washer. No. Oh, can I have that? Look at that bird. No, I'm not buying you a 10-foot tall floaty flamingo, all right? We don't even have somewhere to put that. I actually kind of want to get it because it does look kind of awesome, but no, we're not, we're not getting that. You know, just every, they want everything, everything that they see, they want. You know, selfishness and self-centeredness is literally in our DNA. It's like, it's the way we are born. If you don't believe me, just step outside and walk over to the nursery for a few minutes, all right? If you don't believe that we are born self-centered and selfish, just just go into the nursery. I'm sure they'd be happy to have you there helping and uh, give you a real-life illustration. But we are all selfish and self-centered. I think we can all agree with that. And, you know, I don't really think we start... uh, understanding how selfish and self-centered we are really until you get married. I think that's the first time you life stops being all about you and actually becomes about someone else, right? I mean, if you think about it, before you get married, everything is about you. Uh, your parents, everything, you know, you don't really appreciate it until you get older and get married and have kids. But how much your parents invested in you growing up, all the things that they bought for you and all the things that they gave, gave to you, and you just take it for granted, right? How many of you know kids, I'm sure not your own kids, but know kids that just take for granted everything that they have and everything that's given to them? It's, it's expected. I understand that's how it works. But, you know, they just take it for granted. You know, uh, you go, your teachers teach you, you go, and maybe you go to college, the university is there to train you, right? And then you get married, and then all of a sudden, life isn't about you anymore. It's about you and someone else. And that's why marriage is really a, a key thing that helps people mature, right? You've seen people that are very immature get married, and it really... Uh, you know, after a year or two, their maturity level just skyrockets, right? Or else they just don't last. And then I think what even takes that up a notch is kids, right? To help root out that self-centeredness. Because you can have two self-centered people that are married. But once you have kids, I honestly don't think you can be a good parent and be totally self-centered, right? I mean, I, don't, I just don't know how that's possible. You have to start letting go of your own... Um, wants and desires for the sake of your kids, which is how it should be. Amen? That's, that's how it should be. But you start letting go of that for the sake of your kids. Your, your life isn't just about what you are going to accomplish and all of that, but it's about really helping your kids have a successful life and accomplish the things that they need to accomplish and all of that. Um, So that's really how we work. It's really a lifelong journey of God rooting out our pride and our self-centeredness. I think we can all agree that we're all um, self-centered. And uh, I I think we all struggle with this. You You know, how many of you, maybe like me, 
sometimes feel like all of the roads that were ever created were created just for you, right? The roads are there for me. That's why they were created, to help me get to where I need to go. And then somebody cuts you off, and you're like, hey, pal, I'm on my way to church. I got to preach tonight. Hurry it up, right? Or, uh, you know, all the Dairy Queens, they're created for me, right? You get up there, and you, you order a s'mores blizzard. Wait, you're out of s'mores chocolate for the s'mores blizzard? What is wrong with you people? How can you call yourself a business? How can you be, you're right, it's like, ah, so frustrating. Because we all feel at times like we are the center of the universe and life is all about us. I think we all can identify with that struggle deep down inside. And I think it's a real step of spiritual maturity when we come to realize the depth of our self-centeredness and the depth of our pride and arrogancy and how just how we're all consuming and as you start realizing how selfish and self-centered you are obviously you can't uh, you can't allow the lord to fix something you don't know exists does that make sense so once the lord starts revealing that to you you can then start allowing the lord to work on that in your life i believe that's a big step towards spiritual maturity in our lives so thinking about that thinking about self-centeredness and and pride and all of that. Now let's take another look at our passage here and kind of uh, draw some application, see what the passage has to say, and then draw some application from it. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a what? A servant of God. This is really the key statement that we're gearing in on. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness and hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifest his word through the preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, my own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Let's look at the context of what's being talked about here as, as uh, Paul is writing this to Titus, all right? So this is an epistle. This is one of the letters that Paul wrote, and he is writing it to Titus. Now, uh, Titus has been mentored by Paul. He has spent some time with Paul, and Paul has developed him, and he is now to the place where Paul can send him out to start replicating um, what he has been taught. Um, I always want to emphasize, this isn't the, the point of it, but always emphasize that we as men and women should always be mentoring and developing people below us, right? That you should always have somebody that you are developing and mentoring and teaching and helping. Always, that should just be a constant thing in your life. You should constantly be surrounding yourself and then teaching them to do likewise also. All right, so he's mentored him, he's developed him, he, he's, he's done He's taught him how to be a leader, and now he's sent him out. And he has actually sent him to the island of Crete to help the churches on Crete, some of the churches that have been started. He, he sent him there to help, uh, for Titus, to help the churches establish good churches because there was a lot of uh, uh, weird, goofy stuff going on in the churches. And so he sent Titus, and it was like, hey, 
these churches are kind of a mess. I need you to structure these churches. And, and through the book of Titus, there's a lot of um, direction given of how to structure these churches, how to put people in leadership, how to train them and develop them, and to put uh, proper um, churches in order here on the island of Crete. All right, so that's kind of the context of this book and how it's being written. Now, let's just look at the breakdown of these verses. We're reading verses 1 through 4, and uh, we'll see just um, kind of the breakdown of these verses and then dive a little, uh, um, um, unpack the first part. So first off in this verses, we see Paul's calling. We see his great call. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word servant here literally means bond servant, all right? A bond servant, we know from the Old Testament, a bond servant was, was a servant who actually willingly committed the rest of his life to serving his master. He had such a good master that when he had the ability to go free, he willingly put himself underneath this master for the rest of his life. That's a bond servant. That's the literal um, interpretation of this uh, verse right here. He is a bond servant, willingly becoming a servant of God, all right? Um, and then Paul also here, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, now he's emphasizing his apostleship. This is important because he's about to give some um, real direction of how the churches are to be structured. So to give him, um, he's kind of putting that emphasis there as I have the authority from Jesus Christ, from God, I have the authority to give you this direction as far as um, the commandments that I'm going to give you. And obviously we know that this was inspired. It is now in the scriptures and it also for us as well. Okay, so he's, he's um, defining his um, apostleship so that he can give destruction or instruction for the organization of the churches here on the island of Crete. Now we see his purpose. It's to stir the believers. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and according to the, to the truth, which is after godliness. So his purpose was to stir the believers. And now his message, the message that he is proclaiming is the message, the scarlet thread that is filtered through all of scripture. The message is the gospel, all right? In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. It's all about the gospel. Uh, verse 3, but hath in due times manifest his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Verse 2, in hope of eternal life. It's all about the gospel. The message of the epistles, it's about the gospel, the hope of eternal life, the purpose of the church, the message of the church, the, our message is the gospel. That is what we should be proclaiming, the message of preachers, deacons, elders, church members. The whole Jesus movement is about the gospel. The gospel is in every book of the New Testament. Paul refers to the gospel and the power of the gospel and what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The whole Old Testament points to what Jesus Christ was going to do on the cross. The whole New Testament points back to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's what we do here today. Everything we do, all the preaching, all of that, we look back at what Jesus Christ did. The Old Testament, the sacrifices, they were looking forward to what Jesus Christ was going to do. It's all about the gospel. 
Um, and so we see that. We see um, um, uh, who he is, his calling, um, his purpose to the, the gospel. And then we see the reward, how he bore fruit. His bearing fruit, we see in verse 4. To Titus, my own son. Not his physical son, his spiritual son. To Titus, my own son after the common faith. Grace, mercy, and peace of God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Healthy Christians help birth Christians. Does that make sense? Christians should be birthing new Christians. Healthy churches should be birthing new Christians. All right? You lead someone to Christ. You disciple them. Teach them how to lead someone to, to Christ. Disciple them. So on and so forth. All right? That's the way it was meant to work. So his reward for all of this is Timothy. He, had, he was saved. He was mentored. And now he was off doing the work of the Lord. All right? So... Now that we kind of understand a little bit more the context of this, let's unpack what I feel like is the, the point of the message tonight. This, this very first phrase, Paul, a servant of God. In the very beginning, the first thing Paul emphasizes, the first thing he communicates is his relationship to God. Who he is to God. He communicates who he is to Jesus Christ. That's very important because what he's doing is he is uh, communicating his identity. I don't know what identity we take on. Each of us take on a different identity. Some might say, who are you? I'm a teacher. I'm a father. I am a construction worker. I'm a uh, business owner. Isaac over there, business owner, I'm a pilot, right? We all take on a different identity. So Paul, and it's very important, the identity you take on is very important to who you are. What Paul is doing is he is communicating the identity he has taken on. And this is very important, and it's very significant. Paul declares his relationship to God, to Jesus Christ, here, the first thing in his writing. He, wants, he, wants, uh, he wanted no question about who he was or about what his purpose was here in writing this letter. He was focused upon Christ and his glorious gospel that offers eternal life to men. <clears throat> Let's look here. Um, you know, he, he calls himself God's servant and, uh, let, but why does he call himself God's servant? Let's think about the significance of this, of Paul calling himself a servant of God. I think it's easy for us to just gloss over this and not truly understand the significance of what it means to be a servant. Paul is calling himself a bond servant to God. This is shocking because who wants to be a servant? Who wants to be a slave? We, we don't want to be a servant. We don't want to be a slave. This, would, this is a shocking statement. Something to, to, to say about yourself, an identity to take on, is I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. I'm a bond servant to Jesus Christ. It goes against logic. It goes against our, our knee-jerk reaction of what we would want is to be calling ourselves a slave. 
We don't want to be a slave. From the very time we're a child, we want our independence, right? How many of you know that's one of the things with kids? They want their independence, don't they? They want, and that's like trying to corral that, oh, you'll have the rest of your life. Just hang on there. You can't get your license yet. You're only seven, okay? You know you want your independence. Hang on. Right? But we, we want our independence. We don't want to be a slave. But Paul clearly claims to be a servant or bond slave of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, not only that, but he seems to be proud of the fact that he is a slave of Jesus Christ. He's not, take, he's not saying this like, you know, like in a, a humiliating way. He's saying this as a sense of uh, confidence. I'm a Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. He's, he has taken this narrative of a slave and taken it on as his identity. It's even, I think it's even more shocking when you consider the time frame. You know, we're, we're definitely in, in our culture in this day and age, we're removed from um, the age of slavery, right? We don't have slavery right now in our country, and none of us have known slavery in our lifetime. But that's not the way it was here. So slavery, it was not a position of honor. Slavery has never been a position of honor, has it? It's not a position of honor. Um, being a slave means you actually have no rights of your own. Man, if there is one thing we have, it's we want our rights, don't we? You know, just like when that person cuts you off in traffic. They have violated my rights. I have the right to be here on this road and to go 74 miles an hour and not have somebody cut me off. I have the right to go to Dairy Queen and order a s'mores blizzard. I know it's seasonal, but it still has another month, and them to have the chocolate I want. They violate our rights. But when you're a slave, you literally have... No rights of your own. Your life literally belongs to someone else. Um, could you even imagine growing up as a slave? I can't, I can't even imagine that. Um, what's the number one thing slaves want? If you were to ask, what do you want as a slave? They want to be, they want to be free, right? That's what all slaves want. But Paul is proudly proclaiming himself to be a servant, a slave to Jesus Christ. What did he mean by this? Paul meant that he was totally possessed by God. Imagine, imagine this metaphor, if you will, as Paul communicates this narrative of being a slave to Christ. Imagine it, it's God was at the slave where you purchase slaves, and he sees Paul, and Paul is in bondage. And, and imagine this is yourself as well. You were in bondage. You, Paul was in bondage, to the, bound in the chains of sin, a slave to sin. And Jesus goes to the, to the auction block, and, and he sees you. He sees me. He sees Paul. And he says, I will purchase that slave. I will, I will take that slave. I, he's not worth a lot. He's worthless. He doesn't deserve it, but I'll take him, and the price I'll pay is my blood. That's what Jesus Christ did for each and every one of us. We were sold as slaves to sin, and Jesus purchased us with his precious, holy blood. 
We are now totally owned and possessed by God. He, he also meant that he was willing to, to be total, totally belonging to God. He was completely dedicated to God and owned total allegiance to the will of God. As Kenneth Woost says, he says, Paul's will was completely swallowed up in the sweet will of God. Paul had his will, and after he was purchased by the blood of Christ, the will of God completely surrendered and swallowed up all of his own will. He meant that he had the highest and most honored kingly profession in the whole world. You know, men of God throughout history, specifically in the Bible, have been called servants of God. This is a common um, narrative of great men of God, to be servants of God. This was a title when God said this, when others said this, this wasn't a title of shame. This was a title of honor. For them to be a servant of God. It wasn't embarrassing. They weren't cowardly. They weren't shameful. It wasn't humiliating. It wasn't a lesser position. It was a position of honor. The honor that gives Christians the privilege and responsibility of serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, let's just look here very quickly at some of the people who were called servants of God. Moses was called a servant of God. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. Joshua was called a servant of God. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? David was called a servant of God. Um, 2 Samuel 13, 18. For the Lord hath spoken to David, saying, But the hand of thy servant David will save my people. Over in um, uh, Psalms 78, 70, he, uh, he chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. Obviously, we know Paul communicates the fact that he was a servant. James calls himself a servant of God. Jude calls himself a servant of God. The, the, the prophets were called servants of God. Surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Jesus Christ himself calls himself a servant, became a servant. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robberly to be equal with God. He was God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So this narrative, this this. Uh, word servant, understanding the principles and why Paul calls himself this, this is what I'm trying to get at. God is calling Christians to be servants of him. Each and every one of us, we were bound in chains of sin, sold to slavery. Christ purchased us with his precious blood. We now have the opportunity to become the servants of Jesus Christ. There's a great need today for men and women, for you and I, to become servants of Jesus Christ. We must become slaves to his will. That's hard. I know that's hard. But we must become slaves to his will. You know, when this happens, when we become slaves to the will of God, that is truly when God can do a work that is God-sized. 
God cannot work through people that are proudful, that are self-reliant, that it's all about them. God can't work through those type of people. God can only work through people that have stripped away all of that and given themselves as servants to Jesus Christ. That is when, that's when the world can be evangelized. That's when the gospel can go forth is when we become slaves to Jesus Christ. How many of you know what this is? It's a glove. I'm so proud of you guys. A plus. All right, this is a glove. And uh, I'm sure I heard this illustration somewhere, which is where I got this. I don't think this was original to me. But as this glove sits, I, I recently picked up golf. All right. Um, we, I just started playing for the first time. I worked on a golf course when I was like 15. I was horrible. I, never, I didn't even want to hit a golf ball there because it's like, I remember them saying, hey, you get to golf here for free. And then I'm, like, I'm here from like 4 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Why would I want to be here any longer? You know, I'm, I'm a kid. I don't want to be at work anymore hitting golf balls. That's not what I want to do. So I picked it up recently. I'm horrible, absolutely horrible at it. Okay, so that's not why I picked it up. I picked up golf because it's a really good opportunity to go out with some other men and to spend time fellowshipping, and it gives you about two hours to, to hang out, to fellowship, and, you know, I like walking, so it's a time to exercise, and you're developing a sporting skill. You know, it's just, I, I thought I can do a lot of things at one time, so I'll pick up golfing. All right, but I'm no good. So this is a golf glove. Let me ask you this. Does this glove, how effective is this glove sitting here on this pulpit? Is it effective at all? No, it can't really do anything. Do any of you look at this glove and would you be walking by and be like, wow, what? What an amazing glove. That glove, I just, I cannot get over how beautiful and impressive this glove is. No, we don't say that about gloves, do we? What are gloves? What is a glove for you? It's a tool, right, to help you do something. In softball, a softball glove is to help you catch the ball. When you have a game-winning catch in a softball or a baseball game, people do not gather around, rip the glove off the player, push the player down, and everybody lifts up the glove. Do they do that? No, that would be retarded, okay? The glove didn't do anything. It's the person who had his hand inside the glove. So let's say this golf glove was Tiger Woods' glove, and Tiger Woods hits, you know, whatever, perfect game. I just say Tiger Woods. It's literally the only golfer I know. That's why I'm saying it. So he hits it, does amazing. Nobody's praising the glove, are they? No one praises it. Tiger Woods just put his hand inside the glove and used the glove to accomplish something great. All right? I think you understand where I'm getting at. When we surrender, when we become servants of Jesus Christ, what we do is we are the glove. You know? We are the glove. And when we surrender to Jesus Christ, we allow Christ, we allow God to reach inside and to take this worthless glove, it, it's no good on its own. It just sits there. It's inside the bag. But once it's put on the hand of a master golfer, this glove has the opportunity to do 
amazing things that this glove could never do on its own. That's the way we are when we become servants of Jesus Christ. We now free Christ to reach inside and to take us and to use us to do things that are beyond our greatest imagination. We, we allow Christ, only then will the glorious gospel, will the mission of Jesus Christ be spread out through this world, be spread out through our families, through our communities, through uh, the God, literally the principles of the gospel in our relationships, in our workplaces, only when we surrender to Jesus Christ, when we recognize ourselves as slaves to Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel, communicating the gospel, no longer becomes optional. It is who we are. It is part of our identity. You know, when we surrender as slaves to Jesus Christ, we are first and foremost Christians. Amen? That is the identity that we should have. Before you're a father, you're a Christian. Before you're a mother, you're a Christian. Before you are an employee of such and such company, before that, I understand that's what I am, but before that, I am a Christian. Before I'm a business owner, I am a Christian. Before I am a father or mother, I am a Christian. Before I am a son or daughter or sibling, I am a Christian. First and foremost, before anything else, before I am an American, I am a Christian. Amen? Before, before I am black, white, Latino, Asian, before all of that, I am a Christian. That is our identity. We, are, we should be servants of Jesus Christ. Very quickly, some characteristics of a servant. Um, how do we take on this identity? How do we become servants? First off, servants are fully surrendered. Amen? Servants... They don't get to make their own choice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It is our reasonable service to be servants to the one who purchased us. Right? A slave, it is a reasonable service for him to be a slave to the master that purchased him. It is our reasonable service. And to be, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In order to be a servant to be used, we must be surrendered to the will of the master. Make the master's will our will. Next, a servant must be observant. A servant must be observant. A servant is constantly trying to observe and to find out the will of the master. That is what a servant does. What does the master want? What does he want me to do? You know, if you're an employer or, or even an employee and you have people under you, you want employees that are trying to figure out what you want. You don't want to have to tell them every little thing to do. You would rather them know you so well that they go out and they do something and you didn't even have to tell them, but that's what you would have wanted to happen. Is that right? Like that's the type of people you want working for you. That is what a servant does. He tries to discern what the master wants him to do. He spends time with the master. He gets to know the master better. His entire life is dedicated to understanding and knowing what is, how his master works, how his master thinks. And when he doesn't have clear direction of what to do, 
He makes the best educated guess with everything he knows from the master. He says, I am making a decision that I believe my master would make. That's, that's how I'm going to. I, I, he hasn't told me clearly what to do, but I believe this is what the master would do. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of, the, of a servant. So he is observant. Next, the servant must go and serve the master. Amen? A servant must go and do the work of the master. A servant has to get to work. If you're have people under you that are working for you, you want them to work, right? That's their job. A master has servants so that they work and do a job. We are representatives of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we are representatives. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We have been sent out by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with a holy calling. There is no greater calling here on earth. In order to be effective servant, we must put our service into action. These three things are true about our calling to be a servant. We belong to the king that has sent us out. We belong to him. We have been commissioned by the king who has sent us out. We have a royal commission. We have the authority of God. We possess the authority and the power of God that has sent us out. We're not on our own, guys. We have the power of God behind us. So what about you? You know, Jesus, this is the crazy thing, that even though Jesus bought us and purchased us from the slaves and chains of sin, he does not force us to be bond slaves. Do you know Christians that don't do anything? Yes, we all do, right? They don't do squat. Jesus doesn't force us to be bond slaves. We do it out of our love for him. We surrender our lives to Christ out of our gratefulness for what he has done for us. You know, surrendering your life to Christ, it's not a payment plan. You don't give to the church because of what Christ has done for you. I've heard people say, like, like think of what Christ has done for you. Like, shouldn't you do this for him? Listen, there is no amount of money, there is no amount of time or service that you can do that will levy up the tally of what he has paid for you. There, there's nothing. You will burn yourself out trying to pay off the debt that Christ has paid for you. It is impossible. Christ doesn't ask you to serve him to try to pay back what he has done for you. That's, that's not why we serve Christ. We serve him out of love. We serve him out of gratefulness for what he has done for us. We serve him out of humility and, and, and just pure adoration. God, after all you have done for me, after your love and your grace and your mercy, I can do nothing but serve you with my life. That is why we do it. He doesn't force us to serve him. When we surrender to being a servant, it affects every area of our lives. You know, when we, when we surrender to truly being servants of God, it, it, it affects our investments, our money investments. It affects how we spend our time. It affects who we spend our time with. It, is, it affects our, our, 
our spouses, our children, all of our relationships are affected with our, our siblings, parents, all, all relationships, friends. It affects what type of employee you are. It affects what type of employer you are. It affects who you vote for. It affects how you contribute and serve in the body of Christ. When you become a servant of God, it affects every single area of your life because you surrender your will to the will of the master. And you know what? We can live this out in our lives. We can do this in our lives. Imagine if we all had the mindset of Paul. Look at what Paul, look at what God, using Paul as the glove and God as the one wielding the glove, look at what God did through the life of Paul. It's just, it's staggering. And Paul is the one that says, it is not I, it is God. I am the servant. I am the slave. But imagine what God could do if we all had this mindset. Imagine how the gospel would be spread through this world, how it would grow. Imagine the shattered lives that would be put back together with this type of mindset among Christians, communicating the love and the grace and mercy of God. The gospel of Jesus brings life, hope, and peace. It says in John chapter 10, verses 10 through 11, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. My question to you tonight is, are you a servant of Christ? Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.